My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. You can always tell when we're due for one of these selling squalls. You just need to check out my Twitter feed. See all the ridiculously speculative names people are hoping I will mention or pump or something. The unknown companies I get asked about in the lighting round. Same deal. No earnings, but white hot stocks. These are textbook signs of what we call froth. That's what this is. It's froth. And you know what? All the froth got crushed today. Dow plunging 517 points. S&P plummeting 1.75%. NASDAQ nosediving 1.55%. Not bad, huh? For an amateur, right? Okay. So what's become too risky here? Let, let me give you an example. Last night. Kind of cool. We had Novavax one, hottest stock in the market. Vaccine developer that's working on something for COVID-19. But geez, the stock had just run from 18 to 40 in two days. I can't recommend something like that. That's this. You know, Novavax is this. Okay, I mean, like, good guys. But it doesn't matter. It actually managed to rally today. Maybe Novavax wins the vaccine race. But if they don't, the stock is going to get eviscerated. If you want a vaccine story, I'd much rather have you in something that's diversified. Glaxo. Pfizer, J&J. And look, the same goes for early stage biotechs with potential cancer cures, antivirals, monoclonal antibodies, treatments, anything related to Ebola or flu, except for Regeneron. These companies tend to have little in the way of profits or even revenues, which is why their stocks are very much at risk when we get one of these sell-offs and they don't come back. These stocks are way too hot. If you own one of them, remember, when the froth gets over the edge... Or ruins my Ferragamo tie, it's time to quit. What else can't be touched? The banks. I know. Do they look cheap? Holy cow. People come on and say, hey, you want value? It's the banks. Now, I I know they got big yields, but this group got shelled today for a reason. I want you to look at Wells Fargo. It'll hurt your eyes. Maybe you come with some Visine or something. It's a good franchise. Terrific new CEO, Charlie Scharf. The backing of Warren Buffett. Meaningful insider buying. Bountiful 9% yield. Seems pretty darn enticing, doesn't it? Wrong! Wells Fargo has three problems. Three problems. While they have a loan book that's highly diversified, the fact is they don't make much money on those loans right now. They're looking at a lot more defaults, and ultra-low rates mean they can't make as much money on your deposits. As the stock goes lower, I start worrying something's very wrong here. Maybe too many businesses are closed that owe money. Maybe they're giving forbearance to too many customers. Maybe the dividend is as safe as it looks, especially because a high-ranking Fed official just yesterday talked about preserving capital through cutting dividends. Well, that's all we need to see, right? I mean, would you just be like, it would be... No, thank you. At the end of the day, you do not want a credit risk on your in your portfolio during a recession or yet, yeah, let's call it the D word, a depression. If we don't open the economy soon or if we open it too soon and we get another covid wave more powerful than the first Scylla, Charybdis, Google it. As crazy as it is, it might sound. Do you know what I'd much rather own? PayPal up 33% for the year, including $2.70 today. Then Wells Fargo down 58% for the year, including a 6% loss in today's session. 
If PayPal stock goes down, I feel confident enough to buy more. If Wells Fargo keeps going down, I, 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 I'd be terrified. It's not just Wells. I read a bunch of stories today about how PNC sold off its precious stake in BlackRock this morning, the huge and fabulous asset manager, raising $14 billion. They say to fund, the articles say, to fund some acquisitions in the banking space, shrewd acquisitions. The bankers who handled the actual BlackRock offering placed 28.8 million shares at $420. BlackRock stock then rocketed back to $485, $65 profit if you got in on that deal. But the stock of PNC dropped more than three bucks. I think BlackRock's a much better investment than any bank PNC might want to buy here. If we don't get a V-shaped recovery, I'm betting these guys need every penny they can scrape together. In fact, that's why I'm betting why they sold the BlackRock. And after the risk Fed Chief Jay Powell outlined today, I don't think we're going to have a V-shaped recovery, which means you can't buy a bank stock. I don't think we have a yellow. I don't even know if we have a swoosh. I don't even know if we have one. Maybe we get one of these. Uh, it's, and then the Fed will no doubt begin to question their dividends. The air, oh, we can do it on Zoom. The airlines might seem tempting with their... I know, this is like actual in-person in my set. This is not my home with some grease. This is where I live. All right. Uh, st- some stocks seem tempting when they're hitting new lows. But remember, uh, the airlines, that's a good example, they owe the government a fortune. Their earnings are going to be terrible as long as people are reluctant to fly, which they are. Business travel might be drying up permanently as more and more office figures figure out, office people figure out how to use Zoom. What really makes you nervous about the airlines? Well, there's one person who is the most at stake and needs the airlines to be in the best shape. One person who needs to get them to be really jazzed about their business in the future. His name's David Calhoun. He's the new CEO of Boeing. He has his finger on the pulse of the industry. He knows who can pay and who isn't doing well and who is. Well, yesterday, Calhoun went on the Today Show and said that a major U.S. airline will go out of business. He's so negative, he's willing to go on network television and predict that one of his prime customers could be a goner. I mean, who the heck wants to take a chance with a company that might go bankrupt? Callum didn't specify which one. So now all the airlines were suspect. Their stocks got slammed. It gets worse. Even if people were willing to fly, you can't fly at maximum capacity without putting people in danger right now. At least that's what the, obviously the tourists think. No more full planes. And many countries have instituted two-week quarantines for travelers from overseas. Oh, that's a vacation buzzkill. Calhoun says we'll be lucky if traffic's back to 25% by September. Maybe by the end of the year we approach 50%. This is the CEO of Boeing, for heaven's sake. He's the most negative guy I've ever seen. He's pretty much telling us the airlines are toast. No wonder even Warren Buffett, Mr. Buy and Hold, bailed on the whole group. By the same token, anything travel and leisure-related is a sell. Lee Calhoun did not slam the rest, the uh, hotels, and he didn't slam the restaurants, and he didn't slam the retailers. So, hey, maybe we're okay. You might be tempted by the oils here. Another thing that Calhoun didn't slam. After all, the price of crude bottomed at minus $37 a barrel, right? That was pretty low, much of a low point. I say, so what? The industry's in better shape now that Russia and Saudi Arabia have cut production and economies around the world are opening up. But I can count on one hand the number of oil companies that can actually turn a profit below $30 and we're at 25 I don't trust any of their dividends except for Chevron. The master limited partnerships are particularly treacherous. They're slashing their distributions left and right. Speaking of cutting distributions, how about the Real Estate Investment Trust? Sold. Kimco. Tanger. EPR Properties. They've all done it. Tip of iceberg. Hey, you know what? 
The analysts actually cheered when Simon Property said it was going to pay its dividend. I mean, I'm not kidding. The analysts were incredulous. Now, Simon's got great management. But I, I worry that maybe even that's not enough. You can skip the whole group. These REITs are getting killed because retail's getting killed. Aside from Amazon and a handful of big box stores, Costco, Target, Walmart, Home Depot, and Lowe's, I don't throwing Dollar General. Everybody else is being obliterated. Without a bailout like the $3 trillion stimulus package that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi told us here last night, I fear that most of these smaller stores are now. Almost all of them are doomed. I'm not even throwing in the restaurants because it seems too self-serving. They're all too self-serving. How about the cyclical smokestack stocks? Some of these companies are giving you very useful signals, like Emerson reported monthly trailing order, say, down 12%. I like to watch 3M because it has its fingers in so many pies. It fell $6 today, 4.3% yield. Suboptimal. Caterpillar's rolling orders are always worth keeping an eye on. The retail sales plummeted 22% in the last three months. 27% drop in North America. Ouch! In a serious downturn, I'm worried about the balance sheets and the dividends of this group. You know what would save all these troubled stocks? Bingo! A vaccine. Yet the prospect of a vaccine seems more remote by the day. Officials keep talking about 12 to 18 months. But they were talking about 12 to 18 months in March. So doesn't that mean like 12 to 18 months... 12, if it was 12 to 18 months in March, shouldn't it be like 10 to 16 months? No, they're still talking 12 to 18 months. So what is worth owning here in that small universe of what's left? You want stocks that can thrive in a world that looks a lot like today, because that's the world we live in. And that's why I created the Kramer COVID-19 index, $11 trillion. I left out Target. You had to be an outperformer. Put Target in there. I'll take something else out. These stocks have been roaring in recent weeks. They all got slammed today. They, were, they got hit with the froth. People thought they were frothy. That's okay. They will get unfrothy. Did you notice how, like, after it gets unfrothy, the good ones, they go back to being like uh, mochaccinos. All right. Now, the bottom line. These kinds of sell-offs usually last about three days, okay? It is, and if a Fed governor talks, it's going to be four days because those guys are Fauci. Fed governor, Fauci, Fed governor. Fauci should be a Fed governor. Anyway, uh, this one started yesterday. I'm betting things begin to improve tomorrow around 2.30 when the, uh, you'll have most of the momentum guys out and the margin calls out. That's when the best rallies tend to begin. It's going to start with the food stocks, okay? It's not going to start with the semis. It doesn't, and then if it doesn't start by 2.30, wait until Friday. Again, watch the food stocks, watch the drug stocks, and then you can slowly start buying your favorite stocks in the Kramer COVID index because they're the kind of names you can still confidently pick up into weakness. Don't buy them all at once because that would be stupid. Right now, that's the best you can ask for. Do a little whipping up here while we get uh, Thad in my old home state of Pennsylvania. Thad! Hey, big time booyah from Pennsylvania. Hey, Sid, in March, I'm just going to start off carrying global. I was able to initiate a position. Uh, last week, they released earnings. Sales were down 10%, but the stock is on a positive pop. What do you think about this air handling company? Is it a cool stock to own? I thought Thad might be in there from the sound of this. He's on Zoom Sound. I mean, unbelievable. Uh, I'm worried. I think the carrier, uh, the one I like in that group is Raytheon. It's down really badly. Got more than 3% yield. It's really an inexpensive stock. I can't believe it's come down this much, but everybody hates everything and everybody's miserable. And it's always Tuesday. Have you ever noticed? Every day's Tuesday. Anyway, we were due for uh, one of these sellers. I, I think things can improve. Maybe it's, it starts as early as 2.30 tomorrow. We need to get rid of the froth. Stop asking about these Joker stocks, please. On Man Money Tonight, my exclusive with Cisco, fresh off its report, not a Joker stock. And semiconductors are the backbone of the tech-driven economy as the demand increases for smartphones and PCs and stuff to make it so your home looks like your office. 
Which one should you consider? Well, let's go off the charts to find out. And how should you approach the utilities in this uncertain market? I'm sitting down with the CEO of the utility that I pay a fortune to. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Got to admire a company that can execute in the middle of the toughest environment in decades. Cisco reported after the close today, and coming into this one, I have to admit I was a little concerned. I didn't know how the huge networking equipment company would be able to cope with the coronavirus-induced slowdown. But Cisco delivered. The company posted higher-than-expected sales, coupled with substantial eight-cent earnings beat off a 71-cent basis. Even better, their guidance for the next quarter came in stronger than anticipated, and that's what matters with tech. It's impressive. Don't take it from me. Let's take a closer look with Chuck Robbins. He's the chairman and CEO of Cisco. Hear more about the quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. Robbins, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, it's good to be here. I hope you're doing well and staying safe. Well, we're sure trying, Chuck. I hope you and your family are doing the same. We are. Thank you. Now, let's talk about something that you and I have talked about a lot, which is the idea of the work from home and the gigantic shift that's occurring and how it needs to be executed well and it needs to be secure. And you're able to deliver that in scale for the enterprise. Yeah, Jim, you know, we went through an unbelievable several-week period in March where virtually the entire world was trying to transition to working from home. And obviously a lot of our technology, the networks around the world are, you know, holding up great under unbelievable volumes. Uh, Our WebEx platform is three times the volume today as it was in February, and it was the largest in the world then. Uh, And a lot of our security portfolio, our our VPN technology, our cloud security is all part of helping our customers actually work from home right now. So our teams did an amazing job. I'm incredibly proud of what they've been able to accomplish. And frankly, I'm proud of what our companies, our customers have been able to accomplish as well, because this was no small feat uh, getting done what we did in such a short period of time. Do you think that what you're doing and the work from home and how it's uh, really taken hold, of course, at your company, too, 95 percent, do you think it goes away or you think it's for real? And do you think it can combat for Cisco the possible worldwide recession? Jim, I think that it's going to be a hybrid model for people. I think that many companies that aren't used to leveraging this technology to work from home have come to the conclusion that they can be productive this way. Uh, many of the financial institutions, I've talked to some of my peers there, and they've said, you know, I never dreamed that we could have 95% of our employees or 98% of our employees at home and actually be productive. And so I think you'll see uh, many employees uh, that uh, will continue to work from home. You'll have many that will get back to the office, and then you'll have some that will do a little bit of both. Uh, But I think it will change things like how we think about talent in the future. I think this has given us confidence that we can hire talent anywhere and have them participate productively on teams regardless of their location. Uh, I think it will affect how companies think about their commercial real estate footprint, as you and I have talked about, and I've mm-hmm. heard you talk about on the show as well. So there are a lot of things that we're going to figure out over the next 6 to 12 months. So let's, let's uh, extrapolate on, for WebEx. Uh, it is uh, the enterprise, 
uh, and you're an enterprise company. Now, you know, because you know me, I do my my boozy brunch with my family on Sunday and we use Zoom. And I don't really care that if they have servers in China, because it's, it's not going to impact anything I say. Would the companies that you do business with be concerned about uh, servers in China, which we know Zoom has? Look, Jim, right now with, with WebEx, I mean, we built it with security at its core from the beginning. And our, our customers, given that every bit of the work that they're doing is happening over this platform, they're, they're having confidential discussions. They're sharing intellectual property. There are certainly things that are very important to not be exposed outside of their four walls of their virtual company. So I think it does matter. It is very important. Uh, we have worked with many companies uh, around the globe to help white glove their board meetings that are all happening on WebEx these days. So it, it is important and it does matter. And, uh, you know, we had well over 500 million meeting attendees uh, last month, just in April alone. And so the platform has really scaled. We made huge investments to get it to where it is, and I'm proud of what the team's accomplished. Uh, speaking of proud, I, I know I am proud to know you because you uh, donated. This is not small. It's not just PPE. It's not gowns. $300 million for the global pandemic effort. But you also had people be very creative at your company to help the frontline people. And I think it's worth noting because they're not just writing checks, which are great. We want checks, but they're doing other stuff, too. We, we, we did write a lot of checks, but, um, I, you know, our employees have such an incredible sense of compassion. And when you when you tie that to the innovative spirit, uh, they do incredible things. So we have uh, our, we had teams all around the world that were 3D printing surgical shields and delivering them. I think in in mid-April, we were delivering a thousand a week just out of our San Jose office. But this started in Europe and we stole the idea and, and brought it back here. We realized that we had video units on our desktop and our desks inside our offices and no one was there using them. And so we took them out all around the world and delivered them to hospitals so nurses could do virtual patient intake so they didn't have to get close to these patients who potentially had COVID-19 so they wouldn't be exposed. And they, we, we had customers tell us about how our technology was used. Incredibly sad situation, but where people could actually have the, the last communication with a family member over WebEx or over one of these video units that we had installed. So our teams were in the midst of everything. We were installing cloud networking in the hospitals in Wuhan back in December. So, I mean, we've been at this for a while, and our teams have huge hearts and have been in the middle of trying to help those heroic first-line healthcare workers who are the real heroes in this whole situation. Now, with the healthcare, uh, obviously it's worldwide. With this healthcare situation, how do you keep your people safe? You've got people everywhere. Well, our employees' success is certainly the first thing that we care about. And um, we were one of the first companies to go to work from home. Now, it's a much more natural motion for us, so it was easier. And we had the technology because we built the technology, so it was much easier for us to do that. Uh, we have, uh, we've clearly worked with all of our employees on providing them access to the best medical care uh, in the case that they're sick or their family members are sick. And as we think about returning to office, we'll continue to keep their safety uh, as our number one priority. That is the most important thing to us, and it's going to remain that way. When you have something like this emergency and you're giving money away and you've got all these people all over the place, how come your gross margins were able to be stronger than Wall Street thought? 
I think that, um, you know, you, you look at what our teams have accomplished, and our guys have always run a great business. Our supply chain team, our engineering teams, they are constantly working on value engineering. We've been working on pricing. Uh, it's just a great team effort. And, uh, look, in the future, I think there could potentially be stress. We've obviously had the benefit from memory that you and I have talked about for a while that probably begins to wane over the next few quarters. But for years, there's been concern over our gross margins, and the teams have always been able to just continue making changes and doing the hard work, and that's what it takes. It takes a lot of hard work to keep them where they are. And the, and not to mention the software transition that we've been driving is certainly helping as well. I'm glad you mentioned that because you give two kinds of numbers. You talk about how much of your software so, software has become subscription, but in, and that's up 9% year over year, which is terrific. But as a percentage of the whole, it was hard to find that in the deck. How much of the percentage of the whole, does, because that matters for, uh, for, for future earnings, obviously, because it really does impact in a positive way. Well, Jim, if you go back to our analyst conference a little over three years ago, we said that by the end of this fiscal year, we would have 30% of our revenue coming from software and we'd have 50% coming from software and services, and we're well on track to make that happen. So the teams have done incredibly well. Uh, We continue to execute on our SaaS platforms. We continue to execute on our subscription model on top of networking products, which we're the first company that's ever done that. So it's been complicated. Uh, We have a lot more work to do, but I'm really pleased with what the teams have accomplished so far, and we're going to continue to push in that direction. Well, Chuck, congratulations on delivering and then raising the guidance, which very few have done. But, of course, more importantly, congratulations for you and your team doing the right thing at all times. Really impressive. That's Chuck Robbins, Chairman and CEO of Cisco. And, uh, look, it's going to be an upstock and a not-great tape. Take a look at it. May have money's back into the break. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Those stocks refuse to listen yeah. to Drucker Miller. They just refuse. They refuse, David. They're just they saying, do. screw you, Drucker Miller. No, but they don't even know who he is. They don't know who Drucker Miller is. They just, they like the new slate. No. They like the new slate. What are you watching, David? Yeah. The new Kimmy yeah. is Kimmy. They got Kimmy Becker. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. At the top of the show, I talked about we have to avoid. But uh, as the market takes an ugly turn, what's worth buying into weakness? All right. I think we need to focus on stocks that can keep working regardless of whether or not we successfully reopen the economy. Stocks that arguably do better with half the world stuck in quarantine because we don't know what the uh, what the results of this reopening is going to bring us. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with Bob Lang. He's the founder of ExplosiveOptions.net, as well as being the brilliant technician in the all-star duo behind the Street.com's Trifecta Stocks newsletter. He's also the author of a book called Know Your Options. We're going to check out on a handful of high-quality semiconductor names that we talk about a lot. Think NVIDIA, AMD, and Qualcomm. These three companies are textbook examples of great long-term stories that have thrived during the stay-at-home economy. AMD and NVIDIA have tons of gaming and data center exposure, two areas that work when everyone's stuck at home. Qualcomm is essential in the 5G wireless build-out multi-year, something we desperately need. Uh, the, the Internet is going to be the only place where we can congregate. You need 5G. It won't look like this anymore when you're talking. See that? I'm sorry. I mean, you're always stuck in the worst, most hideous position. Fabrizio Freire from, uh, uh, he's dead right from Estee Lauder. You you, you, zoomy generation, you got to wear a lot of makeup. Now, NVIDIA, AMD, and Qualcomm all 
all got obliterated when the market crashed in February and March. But that's because panic sellers made no effort to differentiate between winners and losers, kind of like what's happening now. Huh? They threw the proverbial baby out with a bathwater. Since the bottom, these high-quality semiconductor names have come roaring back. It's happy again after the one-two punch of Dr. Fauci telling us it will be dangerous to reopen the economy too quickly. He could be right. And Fed Chairman Jay Powell, who was so negative today, he was saying the slog is going to be long. Boy, these guys really are on the opposite side of the president, aren't they? Which brings us to Bob Lang's key observation. When you see these momentum stocks pushing higher to straw, the strong wind at the racks, they can often keep rallying for a lot longer than most people expect. Even if those rallies have temporarily been interrupted. All right, so let's start with the daily uh, chart of total Kramer fave NVIDIA. Yes, and NVIDIA, my dog, is now 13 years old and has got arthritis and is, just doesn't look so good, so just be aware. All right, anyway, uh, NVIDIA, the stock, broke out in mid-April. Lang notes that it's shown a ton of power, stock chugging higher on strong volume. Boy, do we ever love that. Uh, how powerful? Just yesterday, NVIDIA hit an all-time high. So remember, the market came down like this. Most stocks did not do that. That's really good, this, this one. Lang's betting on more upside. First, there's the Ichimoku Cloud. That's the green stuff. Technical tool that combines a bunch of moving averages. Gives you a one-glance read on the situation. It's painting a pretty bullish picture. Right now, the cloud is green. It's trending higher, and it's expanding. Those are the three things you want to see from that indicator. Second, there's the moving average convergence divergence, the MACD. Oh, do we love that. That's an important gauge of momentum. It tells you ahead of time what's supposed to happen. Recently made a bullish crossover uh, where the black line goes above the red one. Okay? Uh, That's one of the most reliable buy signals out there. Boom. Don't want this to go back down. Third, there's one that we've never talked about. It's called the ADX. That's the Average Directional Index. Measures the strength of a given trend. The ADX just made a bullish crossover. So we're looking at ADX, okay? Right there. Uh, It keeps trending higher. Oh, that's another positive sign. The only fly in the ointment, NVIDIA's got a ceiling of resistance above 10 points. Uh, and, and that's currently where the stock trades trading. It, it, it could get boxed right there above 10. But it could jump that hurdle, and the stock could have a lot more upside, which is really incredible. But this may be the best company in tech right now. It really may be. All right, anyway, put it all together, and Lion thinks NVIDIA's got the prettiest chart out there. That's right. And there's a reason they own NVIDIA for the Trifecta Stocks newsletter. Uh, I think Lang's dead right. It's why we also own this one for My Charitable Trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. By the way, I tend to talk about this, uh, this one at our monthly conference call tomorrow at 1130 because it is textbook of what you can, can own in this environment. All right. Now, what about NVIDIA's weekly chart? Let's look at a little longer time frame. On a longer term uh, look, Lang says this stock is incredibly strong. There's the accumulation distribution line down at the bottom, the AD line, okay, which tells you where the big institutional money managers are trying to buy the stock or dump it. Even during the sell-off in March, this thing showed, showed power, which is really incredible. Looking good. Uh, meanwhile, the weekly at Shimoku Cloud, once again, good shape. MACD just made a bullish crossover. Taking into, in, everything into consideration, Lang believes NVIDIA could make a run at 400 by year-end. Even more bullish than I am. Next up, check out Lisa Sue's chart. Yes, this is AMD. She's the CEO. This is a daily. The first thing that jumps out at Lang, AMD's got an inverse head and shoulder pattern. Well, how much do we love that? Okay. 
That's always a reliable sign of upside. It actually may be the most reliable bullish formation in the book. I was interested that he spotted that because I didn't see it immediately. So I thought it was kind of too much like this was too low, but he's got it going. On top of that, the MACD indicator is poised to make a bullish crossover down here. Okay, he thinks this happens. He's anticipating it. I usually don't like to do that. I usually wait to see it, but he's anticipating. Since the bottom, AMD's made a pattern of higher highs and higher lows, which is exactly what charts like to see. Plus, when the stock pulled back to the high 40s after its recent earnings report, that turned out to be a terrific buying opportunity, as I told you it would. Over the last couple of days, AMD's fallen from 56 to 52, and it's looking ugly. And Lang sees this, though, as a great entry point. If the stock can break out above its old highs in the high 50s, he's betting it's a clear shot to the mid-60s. So that's pretty positive, too. I know a lot of you like that stock. Finally, there's the daily chart of Qualcomm, not talked about enough. As Lang sees it, this is a textbook picture of a breakout waiting to happen. Now, this is really interesting because a lot of people get left up this one for dead. Qualcomm's currently at 78. It's got about a three and change yield. Ceiling resistant at 82. The stock can burst through that ceiling and break out of this triangle pattern that he sees, which would be typical. He thinks it's up, up, and away to much higher levels. And this thing did trade at much higher levels at one point. Lang's absolutely betting on this breakout as Qualcomm's another stock they own for the trifecta stock's portfolio. His reasoning, aside from the fundamentals of this fabulous wireless technology play, Lang's feeling confident about the chart. Qualcomm's volume trends are positive. So we look at some volume, okay? Um, see a breakout on bigger volume there. The relative strength index, that's another momentum index down here, uh, looks tremendous, very steep upward slope. We want to see that. But it's still nowhere near being overbought. The Ichimoku cloud recently turned green. It's now expanding. It's another positive. I like that Ichimoku thing. Well, Qualcomm's pulling back again today, but not that much. Since the bottom in March, every dip in this thing has been a fantastic buying opportunity. Again, it's 5G. If the stock can break out above 82, Lang believes it can make a run for its old highs in the mid-90s. I am with him on this, and when he did the work on it, I was thinking, wow, how many more semis can we own for the Action Alert portfolio? Bottom line, in a market that's suddenly rolling over after an epic rebound from the lows, we need to circle the wagons around high-quality stocks that we can conf- confidently buy into this newfound weakness because they'll be able to make a comeback even if the economy doesn't and even if the market keeps going lower. NVIDIA, AMD, and Qualcomm all fit the bill, and the charts interpreted by Bob Lang suggest that all three could have a lot more room to run. I may be a little more negative than him. I may think that this could have a little downside, uh, but then I'm with him. I think we should take some questions. Let's go to Jeff in Arizona. Jeff. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Uh, my wife and I want to start by thanking you for saving us in the fall of 2008. We heeded your wise advice and raised cash to cover our expenses for a year, and it really got us through the financial crisis. Oh, we, man, I'm uh, so we, glad. That was, I know that was a call, a widely criticized call, as all the good ones often are. Uh, but you know what? Thank you. I'm glad you remember it. We dodged 46%. What's going on? Well, uh, my wife and I have a modest position in Ameriprise Financial. Um, we took your advice and we actually read through the earnings call transcript and, uh, it looks like they had truly terrific earnings. We're in a good cash position. Uh, the outlook looks good for the future. Uh, they did suspend the buyback. Um, the price to earnings ratio is like at five, Jim. And I know it's probably because it's in the financial industry, uh, but they did increase the dividend for, I think what's the 15th year in a row. So we're just looking for your opinion on whether America is financially still a great investment. I think it's being hurt by low rates. Um, 
It sells at seven times earnings. I don't like the financials. We've sold almost every financial from my child trust, almost every one. This will be one, I guess, as a keeper because it's just so inexpensive. But beware. I think the financials are not good in general. I like fintech more like everybody else. Nothing really special there, but the financials are tough. All right. It's time to circle back to high-quality stocks that could do well. And these are growth stocks, by the way, even if the economy doesn't open back up. And that's Qualcomm, AMD, and NVIDIA. All right? Much more man money at including my schools with PSENG. How's the company dealing with demand and how the company deal with COVID? Then cruise lines continue to show buoyancy despite the uncertainty. I'll explain how and why. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. A normal slowdown, but if we do, well, we like to buy some high-quality utilities. The nice, consistent companies, big dividends, what's not to like? But this slowdown is different. With vast swaths of the economy simply shut down, there's substantially less demand for actual power, which puts real pressure on the utilities. Consider the case of Public Service Enterprise Group. That's a power generation and transmission business in the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic, a lot of Jersey. Last Monday, PSE&G reported a mixed quarter. It's a big revenue miss, coupled with uh, enough cost savings to generate a modest earnings beat. While the company was able to reaffirm its full-year guidance, management talked about a 5 to 7% reduction in electric load, of course, thanks to COVID-19. After rebounding for the March lows, the stock now uh, pulled back from 54 to 45 over the past few weeks, including 4% decline. Now, at these levels, it gives you a bountiful 4.4% yield. So has it been punished enough? Let's take a closer look with Ralph Izzo. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of Public Service Enterprise Group. We get a better sense of how his company's holding up. Mr. Izzo, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Good to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Well, I got to tell you, sir, to have a five to seven percent decline, and that's the normalized electric load, is pretty incredible. I have to believe that most of the people in our area are working from home. Well, they are. So remember now, that's a decline in sales volume. That's not the same as a decline in margin. Uh, we're we're better insulated from a margin decline because our residential customers who are using a little more are a higher margin group than our commercial and than an industrial who are using a little less. So is the arbitrage positive for PSENG? Not on a net basis, but it's not as it's not as negative as the five to seven percent would suggest. We've only had one month of data and we're unfortunate in New Jersey. We don't have automated meter reading. So we haven't given out details on the trade-off between customer groups until we get at least another cycle of information. All right. I know you're passionate about the environment. Uh, I will say that I have never seen so much wildlife in our area. I didn't know it existed. I thought it all had been extinct. You are. It was Earth Day, 50th anniversary. Your company is very committed to the environment. We, we are, Jim. And actually, I've seen some wild turkey in the background. In the backyard. Yes, that's what I was talking about. Like flying right at me. You know, if, if there's one thing that maybe COVID-19 has shown us, it's the complexity associated with worldwide uh, challenges. And I think the biggest worldwide challenge we face and have, have yet to fully face it is climate change. So we have a fully integrated five-part plan that begins with energy efficiency, renewable energy, preservation of nuclear, getting a price on carbon, and then electrifying the economy as a way to make sure that we stem off the worst impacts of climate change in the future. Well, Mr. So do you think that we'll ever 
uh, build another nuclear power plant. The Salem plant's a great plant. And I know I'm just I've been pro nuke forever. And it just seems like that it's just too hard to build in this country. But it's the cleanest power in the world. Well, as you know, there, there is a company, a southern company, that's building a new nuclear plant, but they're a fully regulated business. I don't think you'll see a large nuclear plant built by a competitive business such as ours. Uh, there's a chance that small modular reactors in the future uh, could get built. Uh, but even that would require some recognition that uh, carbon costs money to emit and therefore the need for a price on carbon. Would you prefer offshore wind, as you mentioned in your conference call? Well, so offshore wind is less expensive than a new nuclear plant is today. But I'm telling you, the cheapest thing we could do, by far the cheapest thing we could do to help uh, mitigate against climate change is energy efficiency. Uh, offshore wind in New Jersey, its first tranche is going to be about $98 per megawatt hour. That's against the current market price of about $20 a megawatt hour. So it's a lot more expensive. Right. Uh, arguably, it's worth it, given the fact that it's carbon free. But energy efficiency can actually be done while reducing a customer bill. Okay, so I have a place in Summit and a place in Ocean Grove. So you know these areas, New Jersey. And we do have outages, sir, and you know that. I'm worried about hurricane season, and I'm worried about COVID. I'm worried if you're going to have enough people to be able to fix the outages. Well, you should be worried about that. I'm worried about that, too, probably more than you are. We have enough people from the point of view of our employees. We're actually not doing a terrific job, but our employees are doing a terrific job of staying safe and healthy. But as you know, during a major storm, we don't rely only on our own people. We have to rely on people from other utilities and other contractors who are not affected by that particular storm. And right now, there is a reluctance on the part of others to move their personnel and subject them to possible uh, health consequences of COVID-19. So I am worried that if a big storm comes, our outage restoration times will be longer than uh, customers are accustomed to. At the same time, though, for your work at home, you say that the customer service, you even said customer service is, is pretty darn good. It almost made me feel like maybe everybody should be staying at home all the time. You know, I'm always in awe of what our employees are able to do. Uh, but, but that's true. Uh, our call center statistics are improved with people working from home. Now, it's a little unfair because we were one of the first, if not the first utility, to promise to not shut any customers off. So we're not getting some of the call volume that we would normally get because we're not getting bill disputes or customers asking us to restore power. We haven't had a major storm. So so call volumes are down in general, but that doesn't take away from the fact that our employees are doing a great job. Do you think that uh, this, I know you've got more than New Jersey. I don't want to just limit to Jersey. But do you think that uh, that the governor is being too slow in opening uh, Jersey or is it the right pace as far as you're concerned? No, I, th- I think he's on the right pace. This is every jurisdiction that has opened up prematurely has had a second spike. I mean, just look at what happened in South Korea last week. One 29-year-old decides to go to five different uh, restaurants or nightclubs in one evening, and then 2,100 bars and restaurants have to reclose. So, and you heard Dr. Fauci yesterday that if we open too early, not only are there health consequences, but there would be ramifications for uh, the economy yet again, maybe worse than what we're experiencing now. So I think the governor is doing a stellar job and he's on the right pace. Excellent. By the way, I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you to all the healthcare providers who are just doing yeoman's work in protecting us and extend my condolences to anybody who's been affected by this horrible, horrible virus. Yeah, they have just been amazing, uh, unsung yeah. and amazing. I want to thank Ralph Izzo, first time chairman, president and CEO of Public Service Enterprise Group. The, my utility, obviously, Mad Money's back after the break. 
It is time! It's time for the lightning round picture of the loser. Of course, one of the six of the And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round picture of the loser. Let's John in Florida. John! Thanks for taking my call. Of course. I haven't heard you talk about Eaton Corporation and. Well, Eaton is a terrific company, and it's had a very it's had a very good run. But it's precisely the kind of cyclical that I don't want people in because I think you don't buy that stock going into a recession slash a depression. Randy in Wisconsin, Randy. Yes, thank you for taking my call, Jim. Yeah. Uh, I want to know if I'm a day late and a dollar short here on Revolve. Look, I have been recommending this Revolve, and I've been eviscerated by it, but I always thought they could do a good quarter, and they did it tonight after the bell, and I've got to tell you, I think there's going to be real momentum, and their business model's good. So I feel vindicated somewhat, and I think you're okay in it. Scott, in Florida, Scott! Jim, you are the best. Well, thank you so to. much for everything you do for us investors. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. My question is, uh, what is your opinion on Hewlett-Packard? Well, there's two other. HPE, the Enterprises, I think is the cell. Um, And then HPQ, which is the uh, guy who makes the 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 desktop, laptop, I think is okay. Um, I, I, but I also want to thank you for the kind words. But we had we had Dave Tapper on this uh, morning on on Squawk on uh, on on Fast Money, halftime money. What the heck? With Scott Wapner, and he's a really great investor, and also Stan Druckerman is a great investor. I am a good watcher at this point. Greg in Tennessee. Greg. Uh, good day, Mr. Kramer. How are you? Very well, thanks. Uh, I've spoken to you a couple times in the past. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, today, my question is about bank stocks in general and key corporation in particular. Key is a great company, sir, but that 7.6% yield tells me that the Fed, somebody is going to say, listen, um, we got to preserve capital of the banks. This is a company that lends to a lot of little businesses, and the little businesses are why we have PPP, and it's just not saving them enough. We need another $3 trillion, uh, and that's why I think the stock is as low as it is. Let's go to Kathy in Pennsylvania. Kathy. Hey, booyah, Jim. Long time, first time. Excellent. I'm calling you. Excellent. I'm calling you from everybody's hometown of Media, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia. Go birds. So, Jim, I'm interested in a stock that is on your very awesome COVID-19 index, but I wonder if I missed the boat with Shopify. Oh, man. Shopify was up even today. It is the hottest stock in the market. It's a Canadian company that has the largest market cap in Canada. I want you to wait, even though I think that they're terrific. Go read that comms call. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. After two hideous days in a row, it's important to remember why this market spent so many weeks actually going higher. Even if you think we got ahead of ourselves, there were some legitimate reasons to feel more constructive because some constructive things happened that were actually pretty amazing. Consider one of the worst hit industries in the earth right now, the cruise lines. At the moment, these companies aren't even allowed to operate. Their ships are widely perceived as being petri dishes for the coronavirus. They're right at the heart of the COVID-19 blast zone. And yet, and yet today, Royal Caribbean announced a $3.3 billion offering of senior notes out four and five years, backed by 28 of its ships. It's a private deal, 
And we don't know who the buyers are. Uh, that money, though, lets them repay a $2.35 billion, 364-day term loan, among other things. Given that Royal Caribbean is burning 250 to $275 million a month, it seems crazy that their institutions willing to lend the money. But they are. We're seeing a, a, a resurgence in bookings for next year for cruises, in part because the companies are giving great deals in order to woo people back. What matters to me, though, is that tons of people seem willing to take them up on the offer. Seems risky, though. Uh, maybe then again, you'll never be able to get a cruise this cheap. Take a look at these prices. You won't believe it. If we get a vaccine, you're going to regret not booking one. CEO Richard Fay must be thrilled. Royal Caribbean lives to sail again. And look, they're the last of the big three cruises that need cruise lines that needed capital. Last week, the Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings, which has the safest COVID track record, sold 41.8 million shares at $11. Its stock was at 55 before the pandemic, but 11 is a heck of a lot better than zero. Norwegian also had to raise 862 million via 6% exchangeable notes due in 2024. Exchange price $13.75. Stock's currently at the $10 and change level, though you got a good deal if you bought the secondary and then immediately flipped your shares when they briefly spiked above 12. The CEO, Frank Del Rio, recently told us the bookings were nicely ahead of last year at this time. I'm less worried about demand. It's clearly there. And more worried about when governments around the world will let these companies do business because people do love to cruise. Finally, there's the company at the epicenter of the outbreak. It's Carnival. Many people now consider this company as a super spreading agglomeration of hospital ships. I regard that characterization as unfair. It has really strong customer loyalty. Carnival had a daunting task. It needed $6 billion to stay afloat. Seemed impossible until the Federal Reserve announced it would buy distressed corporate bonds. Well, corporate... uh, Prends of distress. Uh, that was an implicit backstop for companies like Carnival that would be okay as long as they could secure short-term financing. After that, they raised $4 billion in 11.5% first-priority senior notes. That coupon makes me wince. And a little bit more through $1.75 billion in 5.75% convertible notes due 2023. Carnival also sold 71.8 million shares at 8 bucks. That's down big from 50 where the stock was trading before one of their ships in the Princess Line got infected. The Federal Reserve hadn't taken any action on Carnival and many of the other companies never would have been able to raise the money that they needed. That's why they're doing that's why they're in business. Once that happened, they were able to borrow the money. As for the secondary of, of Carnival, look, that stock was sinking like the Titanic. But at eight dollars it stopped. The Saudi Wealth Fund stepped in, they took an eight percent stake in the business. They're now up more than fifty percent. You could have been too, had you been brave enough to buy at eight. And it's not just cruise lines. Commercial aerospace is a disaster, yet Boeing was able to raise twenty five billion from the private markets. That's the most important fundraiser of the surrendous era. Now I'm not saying you should buy the cruise lines or Boeing for that matter. If anything, I think they're too risky. But the downside seems capped for now. They're not going to zero. And that makes a huge difference because that's exactly what probably would have happened if the Fed had not intervened. Stick with Kramer. Remember, it's not bullish or bearish. I gave you a whole group of stocks that I just wouldn't want you to touch. And they actually represent pretty much the majority of the market. Then there's another group that I'm okay with. And you know what it is. Like I said, there's always bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I'll see you tomorrow. Markets in Turmoil with Scott Wapner is coming up next. <laughs> 